Good morning, Pennington. My name is Andrew, and our scripture reading for today is from Matthew 1, 18 through 24, reading from the NLT. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save all people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. God. It is Advent season. It is officially December. If you didn't know, last week was actually the first Sunday of Advent, but it was still November, so it didn't totally feel like it. But now we are in December. The Christmas season has begun. The church is decorated all out. Thank you to everybody who came last week, hung around, and decorated this whole building and put um, garland on... uh, Columns was the word I was looking for. Out in the middle of the rain and cold. Um, Thank you. It looks beautiful. Even this morning, I was getting in the Christmas season while praying over and looking over my notes. I had a fake fire on a YouTube video on our TV in the living room. I had Christmas hymns playing on our Echo as I was going through drinking my holiday coffee that I brew only in December. I was full in it and ready to go this year. We are in our second week now of our Advent series we are calling Emmanuel or God with us or simply just with. You may be confused by the spelling of Emmanuel because even in the other song it had an E. Just a little insider, this is not a part of the series. When you translate Emmanuel, you can translate it from the Greek. And when you do transliterate from the Greek, it has an E. When you transliterate originally from the Hebrew, it has an I. It's really preference. I like the Hebrew, so we went with the I in Emmanuel. But in our other slides for worship, it's inconsistent. That's, just live with it. Uh, in this series of Advent, we are now into our second week. We are looking at different postures of how we come into the relationship with God. In our Advent series, we are addressing several flawed ways that we approach God in order to reveal why being with God is so much better. In the incarnation, we have the story of God who is Emmanuel, the God who came and is with us, God with us. But There are many ways that we can approach God, many different postures, mindsets, ideas of how we come into his presence. And for that reason, each week we are looking at a different posture. There are four postures we'll be looking at before returning back to being with God. The postures are, in the order we're addressing them, from God or for God, we talked about last week, trying to earn our relationship with God, working for him, working really hard to show our value. Today, we'll be talking about coming from God and the blessings we receive from him, what we get out of God. We'll be talking about being under God, 
under his authority, under his power, always feeling a little bit scared of what he's going to do or how angry he may be. And then lastly, over God, above God, where we're bringing our own thoughts and views on how God should be and how he should work and how the world should run. We will walk through each of these in Advent and then Christmas Eve. You have a Christmas Eve invite on the chair as you sat down. We'll have others in the lobby. We just encourage you to invite someone to join you for Christmas Eve this year at 5 o'clock on December 24th. We'll be talking about the four different ways God is with us in faith and love and hope and in the joy that he's provided for each of us. The goal of this series is to reimagine how we relate through God through his son the God who is with us. And in each week, I'm going to be doing something a little different, and I'm going to be laying it out to you so you can walk this journey with me. Each week, we're going to talk about one of these postures. Then we're going to take a story from the Advent story, from the Nativity, and we will contrast that with this posture of God and see how God is with us in that story. And then, together as a church body, we are going to practice a prayer exercise communally to invite Jesus to be with us and to sit in his presence. Hopefully this week you got our email out. If you're not, you can sign up for our emails through the little QR code in the chair in front of you. Um, And we resourced you with a new idea we're practicing during this Advent series of praying what's called the daily rhythm of prayer. Praying in the morning, praying at midday, and praying in the evening. If you've never practiced prayer in this sort of model, it's, it's a little tough. It's tough kind of getting yourself into that rhythm, being aware of it, setting alarms on your phone or an app like the Inner Room app. Those kind of things help us route that. But the idea is to center our daily activity our day-in and day-out moments of being with Jesus and inviting him in to everything we do. Today, we're talking about working from God. So we're looking at the blessings God gives us, what we can get out of the relationship. And I want to encourage you, as we talk about being from God, many theologians have called this posture the uniquely American theological position that God gives us things, blesses us with things, give us resources and nice cars and blessings in all of our life. You can think about it as seeing God as some sort of a, a Rorschach test. If you've ever seen this in a psychology 101 class, it's showing an ink blob and then you have to interpret what that means to you. Oftentimes, they're different forms of butterflies or moths or people looking at or away from each other, or maybe it's a wolf, maybe it's not. If you think it's a butterfly, then it's talking about your expressive nature and the creativity in the world. If you see it as a moth, it's talking about your fear of the world and your internalizing. If you see it as two people looking at each other, you're thinking about it relationally. If you think about it as a wolf, you're in fear, all these kind of things. But When a psychologist talks through the Rorschach, what they say is it's an image that's there, but you are bringing out the meaning of the image. It's a blob to all of us, but when you see it, you are telling the blob what it is. You're seeing it and putting your own thoughts, own images onto it. When we talk about coming from God, receiving him in this posture, many of us are treating God like our own modern Rorschach test. 18th century philosopher Voltaire said it like this, if God has made us in his image, we have returned the favor. God made us in his image and then we work our whole life to make God look like us, 
like the things we like, hate the things we hate, respond in the ways that we respond. The question, what is God like, often reveals more about ourselves than it does God. Theologians say that we spend our whole life, the hardest part of our theological journey is deciphering what is God and what is our own self that we've put on him. And our journey as Christians is taking layer after layer of ourself off of him. It is why there are such important habits studying scripture together communally. Why seeing the body of Christ as bigger than just our local church body is so important. What is God doing in Asia? What is he doing in Latin America? What has he done 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago to see God as bigger than just what he's doing here? And it's why it's so crucial that we spend time in silence listening to him reveal himself to us. As we talk about seeing God as receiving from him, it's important to understand we have, as modern-day Christians, been born from a culture that has trained us to consume. We are trained to want, to consume, to purchase, to desire, to replace everything with the newest version of it. Or to quote Eartha Kitt in her famous Christmas hymn, Santa baby, I want a yacht. And really, that's not a lot. I've been an angel all year, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. There's a sexual connotation to that song I'm not going to get into, but in the heart of it is an idea that even in the celebration of Advent, we have been trained to see it about me and what I can get and how hungry I am to get more out of it how much I can possibly eat during this season, how many baked goods I can shove into myself. That's normally my mindset. How much I can purchase for myself, what I want, all of the items. We turn God into a divine butler or a cosmic therapist, a holy vending machine who dispenses wares and wisdom to us as we ask. God, Provide this for me. God, solve this for me. We see our spiritual life and existence about having a better physical life. The life from God posture is so appealing because it rarely asks anything of us. We don't have to change. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to long or wait. We simply ask and expect him to give. We put our needs before him and God responds and answers and provides. Ads become prophets of what we want and what we need as we worship capitalism more than the God who has made all things. How much will I spend in this season? How much will I stretch to provide in this season? We live in a culture I'll give you a little bit of a history lesson. In World War II, in the 1940s, the United States had to change over their economy, change over our economy to be more productive in order to meet the demands of a global war. What happened was, after the war was over, we had ramped up all of our productivity so high that we had an abundance of goods and services to hand out. We had more things than we had people. And the things lasted too long. Ovens lasted long. Cars lasted long. Refrigerators lasted long. 
And so businesses got together and said, well, we need to create what is now known as ad marketing so that people have a desire to replace their things at a faster rate. And we need to make our things more readily to break so that they replace it more often. Marketing is a form of psychological manipulation that we all have imbued and brought into ourselves in order to live a life that we are never satisfied. I'm never satisfied until I have that, unless I have that, when I get that and replace this. There's a thing in my life that is missing. I just, one more piece will do it. The next car, the next phone, the next sneakers, a new house, a bigger one with more in it. Rodney Clapp wrote about the Christian life and the consumer. The consumer is schooled in insatiability. He or she is never to be satisfied, at least not for long. The consumer is tutored that people basically consist of unmet needs that can be appeased by commodified goods and experiences. We are trained to be dissatisfied with the life that God has provided. And we are trained to consume more and more. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. Paul writes a challenge to this mentality. He says, And what value was there in fighting the wild beasts, those people of Ephesus? He's saying, what value was there in living for the gospel, fighting for the good news, if none of this is real? He says, if there will be no resurrection from the dead, why am I doing any of this? If there is no meaning, if there is no resurrection, if there is no Savior, then now he quotes from the Old Testament wisdom literature, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. For many of us, this is our mentality of life. It's hard, it's suffering, it's unfair. So let's eat and drink, let's fill ourselves, let's enjoy this moment because tomorrow we die and we don't know what happens after. This eventually for us turns God into a divine vending machine who gives us the desires of our hearts. And if we push the right buttons, we get the right things out of the creator of the universe. In the life from God posture, God carries no inherent value himself other than what we can get from him and what he can give to me. Imagine saying to the divine creator of the universe who breathed life into all, who has no beginning or end, who has created all things from his very voice to say to him, what have you done for me lately? For many of us, we live in this spiritual posture. God, what have you done for me lately? I know that you answered this testimony from years ago, but what about now? I'm asking, and where are you? And you're not doing enough. This is, in a layman's term, known as the prosperity gospel. When we take this idea and we push it to its extreme, that's what we call it, or the name it and claim it, or word of faith is another way of saying it. We may not fully buy into all of those views, but to evaluate a bit of ourselves in it. The prosperity gospel, if you've heard the term before, it sprang up in the late 19th century. It sprang up out of the new thought movement, which means an idea proposed that we could change our reality by how we think. 
If I think good things, good things will happen. If I think bad things, bad things will happen. Basically, the power of positive thought. If I think optimistically, life is going to go well. If I think negatively, my life is going to go poorly. We take this and now we put it into spiritual language and it becomes if I pray the right things, God does the right things for me. If I'm not praying the right things, God doesn't do the right things. But you can see it all over the place. It's the aha moment that Oprah teaches us if we just get our mind into the right place. If you take one of her life classes, it's the moment I begin to think the right way. It's the reason your uncle has a copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People on his countertop. It's why The Secret was a best-selling book. I'll tell you, The Secret is thinking positively. It's a whole movement that if we think the right things, we get the right things. These ideas about mind power became popular because they answer a difficult question. Why are some people healed and some people are not? Why are some people blessed and others are not? It is a difficult place to stand in. God, I don't know why. You responded to this person's prayer to get that parking spot up close front at the mall during Advent, but I've been praying for cancer and you haven't done anything. How do I reconcile your erratic movements of when you answer and when you don't? It's actually led to the popularity of us using a hashtag so popular it has its own physical movement now when we say hashtag blessed. I'm blessed in my life. And we use it as a way to be faux humble, but also kind of show all the nice things in our life. I'm hashtag blessed. It's like saying, I know it's ridiculous. I know this vacation I'm on is crazy. I'm in the south of France and it's gorgeous, but hashtag blessed. God just gave it to me, so I don't really know. I got this massive bonus at work and I know I don't need it, but I'm gonna put this extra addition on my house, but God's done it, hashtag blessed. Have some examples. These have been thrown up in the last few years. Hashtag blessed. Give me the first one. Beautiful vacation. That's not real people. That's actually from the movie House of Gucci. But this was shared around all my pastoral forums of megachurch pastors on their vacation. Hashtag blessed. People said, have you and Kate ever taken a photo like that? I said, God, I hope not. But not probably too different, which is scary. All right, give me the next one. Hashtag blessed. We're celebrating so big. We won the Super Bowl. I'm going nuts. I'm drinking crazy on a boat. Hashtag blessed. I don't know. God just done it. I was born six foot seven and I can run a sub 440, but hashtag blessed. I don't know. It just happened. And then give me the third one. Scrooge McDuck diving into his entire vault of gold. Not even physically possible. That doesn't even make sense. You can't do it. Hashtag blessed. Scrooge McDuck. It's a way of saying... I'm taking a humble posture that God has just given me these things. I'm just blessed. But underneath it is also the language of, but, I, but it's also because I kind of deserve it. I did the right things. I prayed the right way. I said the right things. I'm blessed, but I'm blessed for a reason. And other people are not blessed for a reason. Thank you, God that I could not have secured this for myself is the proper heart posture. Thank you, God, that you've blessed me. You've blessed me with things. He's blessed me with things. He blesses all of us that we couldn't make or do. But it's also a way of saying thank you 
to me for being the kind of person who gets it right. This is the danger of the prosperity gospel itself. It attempts to solve a problem of chaos and a problem of human suffering, a very real problem that we must wrestle with, that this life, the kingdom is not fully here. We live in already, not yet, that Christ has conquered death and sin, but he hasn't yet returned to rid this world of it and bring the kingdom of heaven and earth together. So we often live in chaos, and it's hard for us to discern when and why God moves and responds when he does. One day we will know, we don't know now, But if I can point to reasons why he does and doesn't, I can bring order back to a chaotic world in my mind. And then we revolutionize prayer as an instrument for getting God to always say yes. I have a way to always have him say yes. And by that point, he's back to being a cosmic vending machine that I push the right buttons and I live the right way and he responds the way I want him to. Now, it's certainly not wrong to ask God for things. He tells us to. It's certainly not wrong to think on the blessings of what God has given us. A prayer of gratitude is a beautiful way to do that. And Paul encourages us to do that in Philippians. But we are placing ourselves in this posture at the center rather than God being at the center and to see ourselves as a part of his story. And what happens is, rather than being in God's presence with him, where he removes our fear, our pain, and our insecurity by declaring his love for us, we're simply hiding and burying our insecurity, fear, and pain under consumerism of more and more physical blessings. It's the difference of distraction and deliverance. I can distract myself by consuming. I can be delivered by being in his presence. Pain is one of God's most useful tools for growing us and shaping us and drawing us into his presence. To believe that God wants us never to have pain on this earth is to say that God doesn't want me to live as Jesus lived. God doesn't want me to experience the pain of other image bearers in this world. That God doesn't want me to have a heart that is soft and able to be wounded. That I can just insulate it with more stuff and I can live it through with more blessing and never experience pain in this world. C.S. Lewis says it like this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The author of Deuteronomy says it like this. But that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands. Regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful Do not become proud at that time and forget that the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. If we see God as a means to an end, rather than a person to have relationship with, we end up on our own cosmic treadmill of 
unsustained desires and consumption. The solution, what do we do? Racking our brains, I know that the solution is with, but who can give us an example of this? Praying through the Advent story, the Nativity story, I really felt like the Holy Spirit kept drawing me back to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 24, and the story of Joseph in the Nativity story. Andrew read that earlier, but I want to just point us to a few things. Let's read it together. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. How can we see an antidote to our consuming from God posture? The first thing is that we play a role in God's story for God's glory. It's not our story. God is not here to bless my story and my plans and my vision and will for my life. I exist to take part in his story for his glory. The nativity story is not about Joseph. Sorry to all the dads in the room. He's not even really Joseph's son. Joseph is his adopted father to care for God's son. If we had to put the priority of who the nativity story is about, it's about God and Jesus, then it's really about Mary, and then it's about humanity itself. Joseph plays a bit part in the story. Joseph God says to him, the angel speaks on his behalf, your future wife is going to give birth to the Savior of the world, but he's not your son. He will not have your name. He will not follow in your steps because he is my son, not yours. But I am giving you the blessing of taking care of my son and declaring the name I have given him through you. It may not be our story, but we get the blessing of being a part of God's story. We get the blessing of bringing the knowledge of Jesus into the world, of sharing that story with others and experiencing it together. Joseph is not even alive for most of the Gospels. Most scholars believe he probably died sometime between the Nativity story and then Jesus as an adult being baptized because he's never mentioned after that. He didn't get to see the fruit of Jesus' ministry. He didn't get to see the wrestling of it, the prophecy coming true in place. He didn't experience any of it. And that would be so frustrating if the story was about Joseph. But it's not. Some of us need to hear this message. Stop seeing your life as your story. See where God is working through your life and in your life. 
and ask the question of God, how can I be a part of your story on this world rather than praying as if he takes part in our story? Pray as if the story is his and ask him, what is your will for my life? Where can I come alongside what you are doing to redeem and love this world? Secondly, we are not promised earthly rewards. We're not. Joseph's not. You can make an argument that Joseph's life gets harder through God's intervention rather than easier. That Joseph suffers more on account of God calling him and working through him. He now is going to marry Mary and deal with the uncomfortable nature in their culture of an unplanned pregnancy that happened before they were married. He's got to take that on now. He has to have an unplanned pregnancy before they were financially secure and had their home in the right place and the right jobs. They now got to deal with that. He's got to find a place for her to give birth to this child as they're moving around and they don't know. They have to flee the country and live in Egypt as refugees. God's work in Joseph's life makes his life harder, not easier. Many of us believe that when we come to Christ Jesus, our life gets easier. But that is not how God makes us more holy. He makes us holy through joining him in the suffering of redeeming his world. Lastly, being with God is the blessing. That's the hashtag blessed. Be, <laughs> being with him. I do that so regularly in my life, all the time. Uh, Kate, it's Christmas, hashtag blessed. Where's Michelle? Hashtag blessed cat. But that the being with God is the blessing. Joseph's life gets harder. It's not his story but imagine the reality of Joseph gets to be with God in the flesh. What is the blessing like that you get to see God speak his first words as a human? Maybe his first word was data in, in Aramaic and in, in the Greek that they spoke. Maybe it was. How awesome would that be? God himself speaking your name. God himself reaching out to you, holding God in the flesh. The image of God learning to walk and you get to hold his hands as he takes those first steps. The blessing is not Joseph's story. The blessing is in being with God himself. The blessing of Advent is not what are the gifts God is going to give me. It's not what is the easy life he's going to provide for me. How can he help me avoid suffering? That if I follow God, I won't get sick. If I follow God, my family won't ever break up. If I follow God, I'll have all the wealth and never be food insecure or struggle with resources. If I meet with God, it's always going to be win after win after win. God does not promise us material blessings. He promises us blessings. And the blessing is his presence that walks with us and works through us and speaks to us that we are loved and valued because he's come for us. Asking ourselves the question, where have our prayer lives become a means to an end 
rather than an experience of being with God himself. That I'm disappointed if he doesn't answer the prayers the way I want him to answer them. I pray prayers all the time that are wrong. I see it six months, five years later. I go, I'm really glad he didn't answer that. I had no idea what I was asking for. That job would have been terrible. That person would not have blessed my life. That opportunity was not good. But we pray and we expect him to do what we ask him to do. It is hard to hear what God has to say when you've already decided what you want him to say. He may be saying something else. Or he may just want to be sitting with you in the room, walking alongside you as you walk and pray, sitting with your family before dinner, being with you in the quiet of your car ride to work or home, being present with you. A good pastor uh, in a book called Seeing Through the Fog about struggling with death and faith said, if we pray for God to heal or we pray for God to give us and he doesn't respond, then it feels like a failure. But if I pray to God to be with him, he may give me that blessing and he always will give me his presence and it's never a failure. We are asking you as a church, I'm trying to encourage you in this season to pick up some tools, some postures, to make space to be with Jesus in our daily lives. Throughout this series, we're trying to equip you. Last week, we talked about the daily rhythm of prayer, of praying in the morning, the Lord's Prayer, praying in midday, a missional prayer, Maybe the names God's put on your heart of who you want to invite to Christmas Eve or, or just binding your heart to him that there are lost people that we often don't care about and asking him to put them on our hearts. And then in the evening, praying a prayer of gratitude. What I want to do this morning is guide us through a communal exercise of praying that morning prayer together. I see prayer exercises as individual things because I'm a Westerner and I see so many things as just an individual. But I was encouraged preparing this series that one of the authors said, all prayer exercises originally were communal because people couldn't read and do them at home. They did them communally as a church body, gathered in a house, gathered in the church with 40, 70, 100 people. They did these exercises together. So this is not something we normally do as a church, but I want us to stretch ourselves a little bit, and we are going to communally practice a prayer exercise of praying through the Lord's Prayer. Can we do that? Can you just give me some thumbs up, some head nods? Okay, great, great. That part of the room is not going to participate. Okay. Now I know you are. You just didn't thumbs up. That's okay. As we go through this, I'm going to read out the Lord's Prayer. Um, on our prayer sheets that we have in the lobby that you could get on your way in or on your way out, it'll also walk you through this. You can see in our weekly emails, we'll give you the kind of guidance to walk through these. But I'm gonna guide you in this moment of praying through the Lord's Prayer. It is very convenient that when we pray, Jesus has literally given us a model. That when they asked, how do we pray? He said, here's how you pray. So when we say, how do I be with Jesus? How do I change my mind from thinking about my prayer life as him serving my needs 
to now focusing how do I serve his needs, one of the best tools we're given is the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13. It is an idea of binding ourselves to God's will and way as Jesus taught us. So I'm going to read through verse by verse, and I'm going to ask you in the room, I'm going to read it out. At home, you can pray through this. You can just recite the Lord's Prayer. Advent is many days, and there are some days in the morning I'm just reciting the Lord's Prayer. But most of the time, we're taking each one and using it as a guide of how to posture my prayers before God. So we're going to do that. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, it begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be kept holy. I want us to, as a church body, as we pray this, in your own words, give God glory. Honor him as the creator. Honor him as the Father who is holy. In your own way, where you are, pray this out together. May we just kind of combine our prayers in this moment, combine our hearts as we say, Lord, we thank you that you are holy. God, we thank you that you are a Father who cares for us, that you are separate, you are different from us, that you are righteous, you are good, you are holy and worthy of praise and prayer. You can pray this quietly. You can pray this out loud. That's your posture. Lord, we thank you for your presence, God. Lord, we give you honor and glory. Lord, we praise you as a good and faithful God, full of power and glory and righteousness, that you deserve our honor and praise. May we start with you. May we begin with you. May we recognize that all has come through you and nothing that is has not been made by you and through you and for your glory and honor. As we pray the next line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's join together and pray. First, a prayer that this world is not yet the kingdom, that this world is not as God has called it to be. And then let us pray that he will intervene in this world to heal those who are broken and hurting, to provide for those who are longing that this world would be healed. Join us together. God, we pray that your kingdom come on this earth. Lord, we pray that this world would look like your kingdom more and more. God, that we would be healed, that your people would be cared for and valued and loved. Lord, that the brokenness of this world would end by your spirit, by your intervention. Lord, we pray, God, that disease and death and cancer and illness would be gone in your name. That death will be rid from this world. That the brokenness we live in relationally will be gone and healed. Lord, that this kingdom would look like you, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of grace and of mercy. And pray together, give us today our daily bread. May we just thank God and recognize his provision in our daily life. Lord, we thank you, God, that you provide for us, that you have blessed us so well with all that we have that we can eat and we will leave this church place and many of us begin to think about our lunch plans. God, because you have blessed us and you have fed us, we thank you, God, that we can gather together with freedom and with joy and worship your name. 
We thank you, God, that you have provided all of this and you care for our needs, Lord. Like the sparrow and like the flower that don't plan, but you care, Lord, you care for us, God. Now forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness from sin. Lord, may we be forgiven by your presence. Lord, we bring all of our sins before you. We confess regularly, Lord, that we are not you, that we are sinners. We are broken and in need of your grace and mercy. We ask that you would forgive us and heal us and make us whole. And Lord, by that, may we forgive those who have hurt us, God. May we put on your character. May from the joy of being forgiven, we live as agents of grace and forgiveness and mercy. That name, God, that you are putting on our heart that we haven't yet forgiven, Lord, we ask, God, that we can release that pain and we can forgive them and live free. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, may you guide us towards right paths. Lord, may we walk in your way. May your spirit guide us. May you shepherd us to live as you have lived, to give you glory and honor. May we not fall into temptation. Whatever that temptation is for each of us, God, we pray that you are strengthening us to say no. Lord, in other circumstances, you are strengthening us to say yes. Lord, to what you've called us to, God. May we be obedient. May your spirit empower us and guide us as a church body and as individuals. Deliver us from evil, from our desires of our hearts, from our selfishness, Lord. And then depending on your translation, until about the year 300, this didn't appear in the passage, but they put it in as a way of honoring God in it, and I still like it and think that it guides us forward for us to pray in closing. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to give an opportunity. If you're in the room this morning, and even as we pray that, if you can't confidently say that you have a relationship with Jesus, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're forgiven and whole and you know him, if you struggled with the part of being forgiven, I want to give you a chance just to pray that prayer with me this morning. And I'll invite the worship team up as heads bowed and eyes closed as we join in prayer this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment of recommittal. Jesus, I believe that you lived. I believe that you came into this earth incarnationally. You put on flesh and were and are Emmanuel, the God who is with us. I believe that you lived on this earth, that you took on my sin and shame. You died on the cross in my place. You were buried in the ground and on the third day, you rose from the grave conquering death itself. And that if I believe in you, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I will be saved. And I pray, Jesus, in this moment, will you be my Savior, my Lord, my friend? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As a response this morning, I'll invite you to stand if you can all over the room. I'll invite our scheduled elders up front. We would love to also just pray with you this morning to pray that prayer jointly together. If this morning you have realized 
that I've been asking God to do my will. I want to submit myself before his will. I want to reconnect with what his mission and his plan is for my life. We would love to just pray that with you. I believe, we believe as a church that when we gather together and we pray, the spirit moves and works among us. And if you felt that on your heart this morning or in your gut, we would love to just continue that journey, pray it with you. This altar space is also open for you to take a step forward and say, God, I am submitting my will before you. Like Joseph, may I be a part of your story and your mission and receive the blessing of your presence in my life. We wanna give you an opportunity to pray that and ask for that as the team leads us in one final song.